Hello, everybody. Welcome to Parallax. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have Elung and Bard here, two Alexanders who are, we are going to refer to as Elung and Bard. And we have our one of our favorite people, Bonita Roy, who likes to be called Bonnie. So uh, welcome. And we're going to talk about metaphysics, as I understand it, and today, among other things. And I want to begin with, with, with Elung. And you want to introduce yourself to our um, to our gang, uh, Ellen. Yes, absolutely. We don't, we don't uh, my, see my... you as much around as, as no, no. the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I've been a part of IDB for for a few years, which is where me and Bart met each other, which is an is an intellectual philosophy discussion forum, and me and Bart uh, quickly connected on a concept called transcendental emergence theory, uh, which is basically at at its core. Um, a way to understand like different vectors of being all the way from uh, physics to phenomenology and uh, like everything that comes between the two. Uh, now I'm getting a EOS webcam utility uh, thing from Andrew. Um, okay, now, now the spirit. It's the uh, spirit of Gurdjieff. The spirit of Gurdjieff <laughs> haunts this conversation. So, so be prepared for things like that. Always, oh, okay. always. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a screenwriter. I write, I write television shows and I work as a composer as well. Uh, my background was in law and legal philosophy. Um, and then uh, through my work uh, as a writer and a composer, I've gotten increasingly more and more interested in philosophy. Um, and uh, emergence theory, process theory in particular. And recently, uh, my interest has taken me to uh, a reinterpretation of uh, phenomenology, um, which came as a reaction to uh, what me and Bart was working on in, in regards to transcendental emergentism, where I thought, well, we have all these uh, systems that we use to describe what is outside us. But what I really found um, interesting and necessary was understanding how that related to the self and uh, projection in some sense. So like the idea that the way we, we understand the world around us uh, largely is a product of projection. So like if you're a Stone's materialist, like um, maybe it's because there is some psychological uh, archetypical, um, let's say, foundation where you reject, like, uh, the spirit. And, like, in the other sense, if you're a Stone's idealist, like, maybe you're rejecting matter. So, like, in a sense, the way we understand the world around us is, is based in, like, our understanding of ourselves. So I think, like, the, the step that I have taken uh, recently is trying to understand, like, how our theories relate to uh, our phenomenological experience and our, our archetypology. So the, um, like the, let's say the study of archetypes in relations to, to uh, let's say ontology and, and epistemology. I, I just want to say that I met Elon online and then we met in Denmark several times. I live in Sweden myself. And I just loved finding a brother from Scandinavia who understood Whitehead. And this is mm. where Ellen connects really well with Bonnie here. So 
Uh, and that's why I'm really thrilled about this conversation. And and Whitehead, I think, is a good starting point. And of course, I wrote Prost event to give John Sutter a kiss, but we richly give credit in the book to, to Bredelin, because it was actually me and Bredelin who sat down in Denmark and basically laid out what we now call transcendental emergentism, within which consciousness is one domain among many domains. And therefore, it's, it's welcome that somebody goes into one of those domains, for example, like consciousness or subconsciousness, I prefer to call it, and tries to study it from its own perspective. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to do something really geeky here for the audience. I'm going to... Um, uh, read what the glossary says transcendental emergentism is is that is that okay it's i know it's really geeky and has no sure <laughs> has no spice to it <laughs> um so the metaphysical conviction so that's cool we already know you know that we're dealing with metaphysics we don't have to be shy about that that history consists of various emergences and their vectors and i think that phrase um it's very interesting, uh, and I'm going to ask you about that. And that no meta laws exist outside the specific emergent vectors besides the law of existence's fundamental contingency. That is, there only exists one meta law, and it is the law stating that no meta law exists. Okay. It's not really recursive because uh, you're saying that fundamentally, uh, existence is contingent, right? And then it sounds recursive. I just want to uh, note that. The fact that everything seems to influence of everything else in our actual universe is thereby only a contingent event. That, so, so these things are very interesting to me because they're certainly Whiteheadian themes, but that does not sound like Whitehead at all, okay? Because Whiteheads have necessities and contingencies. Mm. So, um, it's very interesting to me. Existence's neutral monism is in itself no predetermined meta law, okay? In the same way that no emergence vector can, can or must be prioritized above another, other than as an expression of anthropocentric arbitrariness. Um, that's very interesting. I'm going to highlight that. The transcendental in transcendental emergencism thus consists both of the irreducibility of the various emergence vectors vis-a-vis -vis each other. Okay, so they're not reducible. And the irreducible of potential future emergences vis-a-vis -vis today's actual theory. That theory, word theory is not, uh, not I don't understand that, why that is that word see further okay so i think that this is this is uh just a way to start and um i want to talk about emergences and their vectors that that, that what happens to me in, in this kind of i think uh can i just clarify one yeah. thing though so we don't have misunderstanding that we don't need to have we make a difference between law meta law and principle so that yeah. can be a principle. Principle is, is, in a way, it's tautological fundamentally. So a principle, mm. for example, can exist. Uh, you know, to be very straightforward, in a Deleuzean manner, our philosophy starts with shit happens. <laughs> All we know is that shit happens. And the question is, what kind of shit is shit? Right. And uh, what does it mean that something happens? And what kind of happenings have higher value than other happenings? So we start from here and now. In that sense, I think Whitehead is at that certainly Deleuze. 
as I always say that when I met Mano de Land at Princeton and I asked him, so how many years did you study White? And said, I never opened a book by Whitehead. I only studied Deleuze. It's just like, okay, that means Deleuze and Whitehead are the same guy. One is mm -hmm. French, one is British and live in America. So, so for me, I came to Whitehead through Deleuze. And if you go to Deleuze through Whitehead, you probably arrive in a very similar place too. So I just want mm. to clarify that principles can exist in the sense that principles are are in their own their own evidence. What we mean provocatively by saying that the only meta law that exists, that there is no meta law, is to stress that we must keep people within their domains to understand that laws are basically habits over long periods of time that are repeated within domains. So we don't take the law, which is a metaphor, and Elon knows this, he's a philosopher of legality. So we don't take the law, which is basically a metaphor for how to control people in a society. We don't take for granted that nature cares about the laws that human beings invent. And that's right. the point. We're using the words the way we did. So the maybe that clarifies it. Yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. But we can get back to that later. But I just <clears> wanted to stress <throat> that because I don't want Bonnie to, to, she's so fucking sharp. It's incredible. So I don't want her to misunderstand us this early on. Because then go back to emergence of vectors, if you like, please. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think everything you said, um, I, I understood as that, um, you know, look, everybody's a Neo-Whiteheadian and we're all stewing in that innovation that has, you know, that is not just Whiteheads, as you said, but we're all extrapolating and, and innovating from it too. So, um, so yeah, um, okay. So let's look. so I when you write uh, emergences and their vectors. So I'm the type of person when I do philosophy, especially if I'm doing metaphysics, I get these drawings in my head. And so one of the things and I might have said this last time. I don't know. I, it's things are going so fast. Um, so one of the things that um, is interesting to me is usually when people think of a vector, they think of a bifurcation. And one of the recent insights in the work that I'm doing is that um, there's no axiomatic reason why uh, th that, that at a vector point, there should be a bi bifurcation. There could be an exfurcation, where X stands for a multiple variable greater than two. And I think this is uh, extremely important because we can't we have trouble uh, since Kaufman really uh, worked it out um, explaining why there's so much complexity in the universe. Because if things just bifurcated and bifurcated, yeah, you'd get a branching structure of complexity, but it can't happen fast enough. So just just um, want to uh, see if that that works for you. Yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Um... Like the dip, like one of the way we define vectors is through like irreducible difference. So while there are things like we can take for Whitehead, like uh, relation and societies and events that happens across vectors, the way they interact, uh, the the events are, are radically different. So like if we take like let's say music theory, and we use a concept like relation. It, uh, between notes, that is a radically different conception from the relation between, let's say, uh, particles in a molecule. So, so like I think, like what we are trying to avoid by saying there are no meta laws is saying, well, it's not the it's not the same thing that is happening. 
although we use representational descriptive representational language to describe it and that's where the let's say the anthropocentric um, projection uh, comes into play because like we like uh, in some sense the real itself has a linguistic structure like like even before language there is some sort of linguistic structure which language is patterned upon so like when we use language we are describing something which behaves in a way which makes it possible for language at least uh, to interact with it but when we use a, uh, a concept like let's say relation it's not the same thing that's happening uh, when molecules are relating uh, as when humans are relating so it's more of a principle rather right. than a law that repeats itself across vectors. It's I like can just simplify. Yeah. I can simplify this too by by using a very fresh example. Elon Musk was on Lex Friedman's show the other day and probably had a million times more viewers than we ever have, and he was being this total Platonist idiot in the sense that not even Plato was, and he he just said that there was physics and he built everything from physics. Wait, he's a fucking engineer. That's how he became a multi-million billionaire and he's a great innovator and goes off to Mars or whatever he wants to do. Engineers are supposed to build on physics to do engineering well. But then he jumps to the conclusion because he made a billion dollars from that. He's some kind of philosophical authority and instantly jumps over to, well, then there's consciousness and uh, then there must be consciousness everywhere because, because physics is everywhere and he can't even tell the difference. And, and here's the thing. He doesn't get a yota of metaphysics. Metaphysics starts with understanding that first of all, this difference. And then we need mm. to discuss what kind of differences there are. Mm. The question is rather, is there even some kind of whole world or unity or something? An idea which White had played with, but the last question was that, is there even a world or is that just another fantasy we have? Oh, we know that there's difference, difference, difference everywhere. And this, this is what's so striking that a very intelligent man like Elon Musk can't even get that. So the mm. enemy we are now finally going after big time is reductionism. And the reductionism are two versions. One of them is physicalism, which a lot of people tend to rely on now that, well, physics is the only thing we trust. Well, it turns out even, even physics is full of contradiction. Probably physics is even several different emergence vector that have been clumsily put into one, it doesn't make any sense, which is an argument we do, we call the subphysics and physics mm. should be different categories to begin with. But we also say that in other people who find consciousness everywhere, well, it's so diluted in that sense, and it doesn't make any sense to be conscious. Usually those people are probably not even conscious themselves when they say such things. So, so we just want to get rid of reductionism in both angles and the attack against both is to say, there is difference. The question is, how do we how do we say something about difference that's meaningful? And then it turns out, since we live along a time axis, we cannot say anything permanently, even about difference itself. We can only temporarily <clears throat> say something about difference as human beings. And therefore, the theory has to be transcendental. And then we go to the word emergence and start looking at emergence properly to do philosophy about it. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's true that when like Whitehead talks about, let's say, subjectivity, you would think that like the subjectivity of a conscious mind is the same as the subjectivity we've seen between particles or events. But like, I think like the point that Bart is making as well is that there are radically radical differences. So when we are talking about like conscious subjectivity, even though we are using the same concepts, um, if we are using a Whiteheadian language, it's not really the same thing that's happening. It's just the way we use representational language 
Yeah, so there's a lot there. So I would say that, um, you know, what you call difference, 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 and you used your hand like this, I, I call it eternal ongoingness. We have to come to terms with the eternal ongoingness and, and these expurcations, you know, this is eternal ongoingness. And if you think you're going to trace reality down to one photonic uh, uh, metaphysical atom, monism, then you, you've stopped the internal ongoingness. I mean, and you can't escape, you know, the, the, the epistemic process is part of the real. So like, um, yeah, and I agree. So when, when Elon says there's, there's physics, um, and he, he, he abstracts from that statement that physics is also scientific uh, process in time, then he's not talking about something real. He's talking about something ontically imaginary or something. Um, the, and then the other thing I hear in my terms, I mean, we're trying to do semantic mapping here. So mm -hmm. it's like you, the, when someone reduces everything up to consciousness, then they're performing um they're they're implicitly implying that then things can reduce down to matter you can't say everything reduces up to consciousness if you not have this mental model that therefore i can trace this back down to something which is its opposite and that's that's a big metaphysical mistake i have a question for you though now if we can move on i'm trying to understand chapter nine <laughs> um so um, we should say that chapter nine in process event is called transcendental emergentism. So this is the key yeah, chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think it hangs together very well. You know, I know there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, so when you have, I forget what Elon said, but he talked about, um, these emergence vectors when that happens, is there a sense in which, um, they, can um, create um, a gradient array. Like, is there, a, so instead of having a line and vectors, is there a sense in which if you look at the whole, there's all these emergent vectors and, and in it, um, and then they act like a gradient array. I don't, like um, Gibson's ecological array, would that be something that you know, they, so they establish these habits because they're not laws, but they're like this, this gradient array in which reality has to be, be related to. Here's the trick. Very good question. But here's the trick. That's what we call a transcendental emergentism. And we say there's no general emergence theory. Right. There is none. There is no general rule for what an emergence is beforehand. Here's the very Hegelian move we make. Transcendentality literally means that if a new emergence would occur in history, we would have to rewrite the entire theory and reposition what an emergence is because the new emergence would probably totally throw away all previous concepts of what emergence is because we are human beings in our subjectivity and this is our world you were created. That's all philosophers can ever do. So what we mean in transcendental emergence are two things. One is that no emergence vector is reducible to any other. If a new emergence ever occurs, all the other emergence vectors active in that universe will have an influence on the new emergence vector. 
So all that's not all only things that are, it's very white-headed. Everything that exists right. will have an influence on the emergence if something occurs. If something occurs, any sort of conscious attempt to understand what's going on would have to then redefine the entire theory in itself and restart the idea of what the world looks like. So our theory is not, it, it's only eternal in the meta sense. It's not eternal in the way it is, for example, in science. So what we're saying is that this is all that can, can be said. The best comments we've had, Elung and I on TE, since we presented theory, is that philosophers say, oh God, that's so underwhelming. Because yeah. then we succeeded. Because this is all about pulling the rug from so much rubbish, rubbish metaphysics out there, especially Heidegger. We love Whitehead. We hate Heidegger. So it's like pulling the rug from underneath of so much metaphysical garbage out there. For example, that you can generally say something about subjectivity, and then you read Heidegger, and all you discover Heidegger is writing about himself. Well, I'm not Heidegger. Bonnie's not Heidegger, Ellis not Heidegger. So why would he have a theory about us? He doesn't. So we get rid of so much rubbish in metaphysics by basically saying there's very little left when we finish with this, but that's exactly the point because you want to work at having a really credible foundation for all the other theories you're going to build about humanity and its history, et cetera. For example, the theory on paradigmatics that we then develop in human history, which is built on T. So I needed to sit down with Elding in Copenhagen and really go through tea properly. Because for me, going back to John Sedekis was like, now we have a proper, complete metaphysical theory, which says very little, but it says what can be said. And that was the point. It's a cautionary tale. <laughs> it's daring to kill people who are, you know, powerful or whatever as well. In this case, the probe haven't discovered yet, but they sooner or later will. But yeah, I I I'd say that the other part of this is Hegel. There's, I give another example. Hegel comes in. You said eternal ongoing. Why? I love the term, but I would disagree with it here. Is that number one? We don't do eternity. We try to avoid the term as much as we possibly can. The only infinities where we talk about a poetic infinity is like your own subjectivity. You never find yourself, and then you die. Right, so we don't use the word eternal. White uses it; it makes it more complicated. We skipped it, so we don't use the zero. We don't use the infinity sign in our philosophy at all, because we have never found them anywhere, and they cannot even be thought. And the people who try to think them, like good, go crazy. So maybe, maybe it's just because there shouldn't be that idea to begin mm -hmm. with. But what we do allow ourselves to do instead is to to rethink what the other categories would be. So for example, in my philosophy, John, I don't know if Lynx agrees, is there's a concept called hypertime. Because if you're going to start with time rather than space, which Western philosophy did from Hegel, Nietzsche did it, Whitehead did it, you know, all the great thinkers after Hegel do time first, then space. Then you have to have a category called hypertime, rather hyperspace, and start from hypertime. And for me, the ongoing thing is just time itself, and try to imagine time without anything being attached to it. Mm -hmm. But then if you throw anything, like if you do a big bounce or a big bang and throw anything onto like mass or something, space starts occurring. And when space occurs to time, time behaves in certain ways. So we get space time and we can do physics out of it. But if you do imagine hypertime, you can imagine self-physics. So for me, what's ongoing is hypertime. What's attached to what's ongoing is then space. And space exists simply to harbor difference. Mm. That's this clearly what we find in space. It's just loaded with difference. And that's exactly where we start the philosophy from. So the shit happens thing is, is somewhere there. Is hypertime related to uh, emergence? Um, 
No, no, not, not totally directly. But different, the, the, different the concepts. That, I'm just trying to understand what hyper. Yeah, I did superstring theory as anybody did in the 1990s. I was absolutely enthusiastic about it. It mathematically made sense. It looked beautiful. And then I started discovering that if you just added more and more dimensions to things, eventually the problems seem to disappear. But you just added lots of dimensions that don't exist. So you were in fantasy land already. That made me very, very skeptical. I found out that some physicists were already have left the field, thought this is not going to go anywhere. And they started doing low quantum gravity. I discovered low quantum to gravity was background independent. Okay, that's Einstein. They haven't learned the lesson from Einstein. The superstring theorists are doing pre-Einsteinian thinking. But the lesson from Einstein was that everything relates to everything else. Whitehead, Einstein, Hegel, everything relates to something else. And if you move one thing, you move everything else in the universe. You literally do that. So, okay. Then I discovered, yeah. okay, but they're doing hyperspace. And it's an interesting idea. Here's what philosophy is. Philosophy is about interesting ideas. Not about being right. But, and Witten did hyperspace. I said, but that's actually the other way around. It would be much more interesting to try to think time without space because you can't think a world without time, but you can think things without space. So at least philosophically speaking, it makes more sense after Hegel and White to do hypertime. Let's just think hypertime and see if we can think it. And then we can start thinking space-time and we can think in math and difference and physics. And out of that, we can think the other categories. I think you're touching on something very important here, which is like the structures of ideas uh, and how it relates to the real. So like one of the things you're saying is that, well, it's an interesting idea and therefore it must connect to something, which is what, even though like you were like uh, criticizing Heidegger, what he calls caring or to care about something means that there are something there to care about. So when you are caring about the differentiation between, let's say, hyper, uh, hyper time and space, well, it means that something there that has an importance, which is important enough for us to talk about it. But in that sense, we also have to talk about like the intelligibility uh, of the real. Like, is it even is it even possible to describe what is, or are we just like describing representational structures? And is the difference important at all? I, I, I would say that it isn't. I would say that it is. Uh, we, we should take for granted or use it as an axiom even that when we are describing something, we are not necessarily describing the thing. We are describing how the representation of the thing relates to our uh, linguistic structures. Because if we were describing the thing itself, the explanation would have to be as, as large as the thing itself. And it would look like an incomprehensible data set, which we would not be able to, like, let's say, transmit through language at all. So whenever we are talking about, let's say, uh, like um, the difference between prima materia or relation, we're using it in a sense uh, where it makes sense to us. Like you were touching on uh, monads earlier, uh, Bunny, where you were talking about, well, is there some prime materia which everything is created from. Well, if we can make a narrative where it makes sense and it, it provisionally will explain our experiences, then yes. But what Bart was saying was that, well, when we discover a new vector, emergence vector, the whole explanation has to change. So it's uh, not okay. that, it's not that, it doesn't make sense. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's, but there's it, a slippery slope here. It's in your book too, and maybe it's because my mind is, you know, uh, not up to speed. But I don't want to talk about the slippery slope yet. I want to ask specific questions so I can get into. I've got a few. So, um, 
let's uh let's see which one so i want to first start with um difference and hegel um so if difference is irreducible is it commensurable is there like a move where you can see all this difference and then move to a perspective where you can see that they're the same can you do a synthetic on difference can is that is that possible or do we just live in a world of difference well for hegel Hegel uses yeah. Hegel says that everything has its own contradiction built to it, and he's talking about representations here. So yeah. the contradiction within the word is always within the word itself. So you, you you can never stop with Hegel. No word is ever fixed; it just moves on. Language moves on, and we're claiming, and Sertic is not claiming that the world itself operates that way. We call it pan dialecticism to provoke here. I would I would say the. Uh, yeah, leave it to Ellen. Ellen, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I can give you, I can um, give you, I can give you a very literal expression yeah, actually of Hegel I mean, operates with time with the time in, axis. But let, let's do Ellen first. Yeah. yeah like in, the question in, in, is: Do we okay. live in a world of pure dis difference, or mm -hmm. is there a synthetic yeah. meta move or something in which their difference at at local local yes hyper local nodes or whatever? Uh, can be commensurable or adjudicated, so that is so. Uh, so for, for he, he, in science of logic, uh, Hegel Hegel describes the problem of a equals a. So the problem with a equals a is that a never amounts to anything. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. So there has to be a difference between a and a. A delta, you call it in in uh, mathematics, for instance, before a can ever emerge. So he, Hegel says that. For anything to exist, it has to be different from itself, whether it be like in, in time, there's like a, a time axis where, well, it wasn't the same as it was like a, a Planck's a, a second ago. So there's a difference uh, which makes existence possible in itself. The other idea is, is the platonic idea where things can exist as monads by themselves without relating to anything. But then you have to ask the question, how does that thing uh, gain any attributes? So like if something has weight or let's say speed or anything else, it can only gain those attributes by relating to something else. So ASA is inherently a meaningless concept. So, so from, from a Hegelian perspective and also a Whiteheadian perspective, uh, a difference is necessary for, for existence. Uh, this moves on to we differentiate between virtuality and potentiality, which the lust never bother with. The lust is virtuality and actuality. We do potentiality in between them. So something being virtual means that it has no qualities at all. It only subsists. It's really weird, but we have to yeah. look at it that way. So it has only subsistence, not existence. It was Elon who came up with the word subsistence here. So I owe it to him. Uh, the subsistence means it doesn't have existence at all. So we're really weird ontology territory, but that's the thing, potentiality. The yeah. point is that the potentiality is where relations suddenly occur, and then it has meaningful, a meaningful kind of ontological existence to it. So the thing is yeah. to actually compare Hegel and White to see they're both right. The two different ways of approaching that the relation comes first, the relata is the byproduct of the relation. That's what you're trying to do. What Hegel does fantastically is that he puts it along the time axis. And Hegel's worldview in the world is like a zipper. It's like everything you've sipped is the past. It's locked in. It's a necessity. It cannot be changed. Whatever has happened cannot be changed. 
There's a factual history there, but it's still open and it's contingent. And I'm, as a subject, part of the freedom of the contingency before the Cipra comes and looks in history and passes by until the day I die, right? So the idea with Hegel is basically the contingency is always in the future and the necessity is in the past. And what we can beautifully do then is you can put the virtuality and the actuality on opposite sides. And what's then happening is exactly what we do with philosophy on the now. It's like, it's like philosophers always avoid doing the now. They want to do past and future. Yeah, men do. Maybe it's because women are the now or something. I don't know. But I wanted to do philosophy on the now, the infinite now, ecstatic, the trauma at the bottom, you know, the, the most intense experience in your life and anything mediocre in between like an everyday copy on a Tuesday afternoon, right? So you, you would have that in your life as well to see that. What now is, the now is a potentiality because when now happens, it hasn't taken its specific form yet to become a necessity. Once it's past, it's an actuality. And therefore, we put the V, the P, the potentiality on the now to then allow what hasn't happened yet to be virtual. Yeah, there's a way of sneaking in Platon without actually using ide like Platonic idealism. <laughs> well, we call, I call it Darwinian forms instead of Platonist forms. So Yeah, yeah, it, like it is, because like um, if you look at a guy like Wheeler, for instance, uh, like freakyometry or something like that, like you have the idea that, well, for a triangle or any interaction to emerge, there has to be some, and we don't want to say pre-existent, but we instead we use the word subsistent principles for like the interactions to take place, like like um, even but to begin with. Your subsistence is in the virtual, not in the potential, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay. Um, because so it's a way to when existence like, um, starts. Ch Chandler talks about subsistence, but they're yeah. subsisting potentials, and you're saying subsistence is is prior. This is exactly the confusing saying the top of the philosophy past yeah. people are mix mixing up virtual and potential they must be separated virtual but potential potency power mm. what well, that invited is our relation yeah and in physics is the higgs boson or whatever that gives mass to something things collide all the time and when differences yeah. collide relations occur and that's when we, we as human beings have something meaningful to say ontological about anything Without yeah. a relation being involved, there's nothing there. In Hegel, this is obvious, as Elun gave examples of, this is also obviously white. Here's the connection between the two thinkers that we love. It is that there is a theory. What I then sat down with John and did after I was through with Transcendental Emergences was Elun was to develop the VPA, which is a consequence of it. Virtuality, mm. potentiality, actuality. It's just the reversed order mm. of necessity, the now, and contingency in Hegel. Yeah, so we can call okay, it like Darwinism. So, so the contingencies in the virtual? Yeah, exactly. The, 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 it's actually reversed, but yeah, they are connected. So they should they should be understood as saying something about the same thing. The future in that case, but we think about it like something that hasn't happened yet. Absolutely. Virtual and contingency here. Absolutely. I mean, this is the problem. And the actual right and the yeah. necessity here, because the actual, and this is the thing. Even with transcendental yeah, emergentism, we're not yeah. going to deny that anything ever happened, but we have to reinterpret it. TE is a, it's an interpretation. Okay, but there's whatever. something, this is, I think we should talk about this because I'm not arguing with you. I want to, uh, this is something that's uh, uh, confusing in Whiteheadian because, so you have the virtual, which is the subsistence, and then the potential, which is relation, and then the actuality. But you see, the funny thing is, is that 
it's not prior present it's prior present it's not prior present future the actual is the past so it goes prior present past and the future is the new new emergence in the subsistence well whitehead calls it the primordial right as far as i remember so it's like like the the, the thing that exists or subsists before time that's like a Whiteheadian concept for it. Wheeler calls it pre-geometry. Uh, Bolton calls it the implicate order. It's 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 a necessity for anything to exist that there is something that guides it. You can also call it locus. But like what we are trying to avoid is the like the the Platonic ideal, which is the sense that well there exists this world, which where everything is coming from. What we are saying is that well it doesn't exist before it relates. So right, right. We, we can't we can't call it existence because in it other way, exactly. another way of framing that is uh, the fact that something can be thought as possible in the future doesn't mean that it's a potential because it doesn't exist now it has no potency so hmm. to, to, to to try to really get to what Hegel means when he radically says relations are prior to relata, it turns out Hegel is actually saying the very same thing. But right. Hegel's way of phrasing is this that a relata is its own relation. Right. But the relata the, cannot be but, anything, but it's right. be, but be, be, except the, its own contradictory. Actuality relation. has no potential. It's impotent because it's in the past. The exactly. But the it's already done. It's already okay, done. The subsistence is impotent because it's not related relationally yet. Is that correct? Exactly. But it's not the same kind of impotence. It, no, it's, true. It's it's true. It's very important, is it? No, but actuality is impotent as actuality, but the very relata, which is actuality and now exists in the world, ontologically speaking, can have new relations, but then the relations are central, not the relata. For example, here's a conversation. And we say in language, you say there's Bonnie and Elong and Bird and Andrew sitting in a conversation. In reality, there's a conversation. The primary thing is the conversation. And wherever Bonnie or Bard or Elong and Andrew goes afterward, hopefully still alive after this conversation, which is fantastic, by the way, we're byproducts of that relation. So the primary thing in our philosophy is to always think relation, 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 try to stay with relation as long as possible, because we human beings have a tendency to fall back into the obsession with the object, with the model cut. And with Hegel and Whitehead, we, they take us out of the obsession with the object away from object. Graham Harmon, these guys are Kantians today. No, let's not go back there. Let's stay with Hegel, Nietzsche, Whitehead. Let's stay with relations as relations first, because that's how the world operates. And that's actually how we human beings operate. We're deeply social beings. We are first and foremost social beings. We're attached to our mother's body for months after we're born, before we're shocked the day when mother's body walks out of the room and something else is left and we scream. Mm. traumatically scream, ah, non-mother, <laughs> I don't mother. So the first I experience is non-mother thing. So human beings are a perfect example of, of, of a creature completely dependent on relations. The shocking thing is, why did we do philosophy relata first? We did it because we had law. We wanted to control human beings in a society, and we had the law to police them and control them. Therefore, we taught them, you are a single human being. Therefore, you there, you do as I say. It's power uh, Barry Sandywell traces the the transition from 
uh, uh, the mindset from like cosmological and lyric culture to Platonic looking at cosmology as set of laws. He traces that to Plato's Republic and the move humans were involved in making larger city states and they projected onto the cosmology this great new um, you know, meta, law-based law metaphysics that they had, let's say. And that happens, definitely happens in time. So that's what you're saying. Even the way we then look at cosmology changes contingent to the, uh, yeah, to the vectors that are happening historically. And here's where we go prior to Plato, to Heraclitus, and then go back to the root Heraclitus, the Zoroaster, we read the Gothos, 1200 years before Plato, imagining the empire, creating the first empire in Persia without mistaking society's laws for being the laws of nature and keeping them separate. And this is this is this is the necessity. I see Plato's temptation did a beautiful work. Wow, Republic is an amazing book. But my problem is that Plato and Rosa are fantastic enemies of mine because they write great books and they should. So I'm up against something. But fundamentally, law is a legal word that should be firmly kept in legality and when it comes to laws of nature, I said there are habits of nature and since they seem to be repetitive within their own emergence vectors, we can accept we call them laws, but they're local. Hmm. There are no global laws for the universe as a whole. So what about archetypes? Archetypes, the way we use it is pre-Jung, so it's not Jungian, right? Please keep that in mind. Archetypes in the fundamental sense, the Aristotelian sense, is that human beings live in a world of forms. The forms are not created prior to us. The forms are actually Darwinianly developed. We call them Darwinian forms. So we as human beings are archetypes with different personality types. We're men and women and anything in between or whatever. We're different ages, you know, things like that. Fathers and mothers and sons and daughters or whatever. Archetype. But also the world around us archetype. Here's the microphone. It's a contemporary archetype, etc. So the, the different things we have around us, the objects we orientate ourselves around are archetypes. It's better to use the word archetype here because it, it, it pulls us back into phenomenology, like Ellen said. And therefore, it creates it creates a world from which we created that we can compare our world with other human beings and discover that with certain similarities in our worldview, and we call that archetypology. What's great with doing archetypology is that it changes very, very slowly. It changes as slow as evolution itself. Human beings during ten thousand years of history have not changed much. If anything, our brains have shrunk in the last five thousand years, and they will shrink even more with social media, probably. So. Since we haven't really developed, which is nonsense, technology is what has developed. So we can then put human beings in archetypology and say, you, you certainly had a role in the original nomadic tribe because otherwise you would be around today. And if that says you're a revolutionary winner, we can't guarantee you have a role in today's society. You better find one. But we can help you do that. And the paradigmatics allows us to then say, this is what changes over time. And the paradigms are fundamentally technological, even information technological in our philosophy. Mm -hmm. That's how we use archetypology. So you need to balance the paradigmatics with the archetypes in some yeah. way so and that now they don't people become have, platonic exactly. And now people have discovered that we can probably kill most of psychologists called to deal with archetypology. 
you can have a conversation with Greg Enriquez on, on, on your academy here because it, it turns out that psychology is basically not being used by powers to control people and put them back into work in society to very specific predicted, predictable roles without much freedom. With archetypology, you can say that, well, it doesn't suit me. I'm going to move out to the wilderness and probably live happier there because my archetype is there and my, the archetypes that I should be surrounded with are in wilderness. So I think archetypology is incredibly helpful for people. I'm using it myself in the most extreme of cases, which is transitioning for people who change their sex, which is incredibly helpful to use archetypology. So archetypology can be very, very useful. And let's see how far we can take it by working with it. Body, you have a fantastic list. Did yeah. we answer your question or we have another question coming up? Oh, I have a big question. I'm not sure I really want to ask it, so I'm just sitting with it here. Um, all right, I'll just ask it. So you must ask it now. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling I'm just going to be underwhelmed with the answer, though, because I can see. Okay, so what are what is causality? What are causal relationships in your transcendental your TE? Is there anything? Uh, anything like causal uh, are contingencies sub, you know are contingencies powerful enough to be causal uh, what where, how do you deal with that well what we what we do is that we go through the concept of determinism and indeterminism an old question in philosophy and basically just get sick of them <laughs> because we've discovered of course that when you look at determinism indeterminism process can be both. The process yeah, can start think, at a certain point, end up at a point, but have a very unpredictable way there. So they don't make any sense. So the I only think, way you can but, leave it is to say that the world is fundamentally transdeterminist, which actually Hegel did without using the word. So yeah. that means there's a causality, but the causality is also affected by things out of its own control. So okay. in that sense, there's not all causality. Yeah. Uh, there's not a yeah. God finger. So we come to the same place because... The way yeah. you started at first was like you were saying, well, if there's causality, there's determinism. And most people think that, that there's like, if, if there's causal relations, then the world universe is determinism. But you can have causal relations um, and have a completely indeterminate world. So, um, and what, what what I understand Whitehead is saying about causal relations is that they have a temporal, there's a temporal structure to the world. And that is... And it, it's not that the and the, it's not that there are causes that create effects. It's that the effects are the effects um, um, the effects. Uh, what's the word? What's the word? Um, the 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 when once the effect gets 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 actualized, then the 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 some of the potentials. So only subsist, and some of them you can be. Some of them can be traced down to the cause. So at first, there's this subsistence, and then certain certain parts of that become relata. I'm trying relations. I'm trying to use their words, and then that becomes actuals. And from each one of these things can be traced back retrospectively. So the effects actually fix their causes, and that's what would be causality in a completely uh contingent or indeterminate reality so i think they well, can go to I think one, one, one way to look very about important it. i call i call it fussy causality so yeah, you can well, allow to use farsi, that farsi? Fuss, fussy 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 f-u-z-z-y 
fuzzy. Oh, fuzzy. fuzzy. Like fuzzy said... logic. <laughs> fuzzy cause. Oh, it has. Oh, this just happened. I said fuzzy cause. <laughs> or as determinists, I always ask them when I talk to them. So if I murder you right now and everything is determinist, I won't go to prison then because I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Yes. It turns out the determinists are never determinists. The I the call day. it numinous causality. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's also like from, from a Whiteheadian perspective, there's also a sense of like what he calls the primordial order is like changing uh, through, through societies of events. So like if we take like a dice, there is an obvious set of potentials that can happen when I throw the dice, like one through six, right? But, but that's a system where there is a list of potentialities that can occur, but that is built upon like an, a existing structures. So you could call that discrete events, which Whitehead does to some extent, but there is also like um, a form of, let's say, uh, ad hoc. Uh, like when we look at it, it looks like continuity because we are describing something but really, it's just discrete events happening at larger levels of complexity. So, like within every like event, those events are built on previous events. We call those conglomerations for societies, and within those societies, they they have their own potentials. So, if we put like a hundred people on a deserted island, there are things that can happen, and there are things that cannot happen. So, like potentiality changes depending on the given scenario. Yeah, yeah, so all potentials, they're infinite, but not exhaustive, right? So there well, was a time- I wouldn't say infinite. I would say infinite, but yeah. not, not exhaustive. Exactly. There's, there's, it's a modest universe. Everything in the universe affects everything else. That means that when somebody tells me, well, if I throw a dice, it's gonna end up in a certain way, that's determined. I said, okay, so what is the gravity in that case where the dice is thrown? Uh, is that a vacuum or is there some mm. air in there? Was that a little wind coming through the room? Did your mother just open and yell at you? Are you, you know, at the, at the, yeah, it's absurd. It gets absurd when mm. you consider the many, 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 many differences involved having an effect, which means we call that contingency. And that's when you get totally exhausted in this as a human being, you get exhausted and accept transdeterminism as fundamental. Because like, determinism, yeah. indeterminism is all about little boys controlling the world. This, that's where the whole idea comes from. And at the end of the day, that there's no such thing. Well, I, I think that we should like maybe stay with the concept of infinite. And I want to understand what Bonnie is saying when she says infinite. I yes. call it poetic infinity. I can't agree on anything. Enormity mm. is the word we use in the book. Well, what, what do you mean it's by an enormous amount of, of things involved? But may, maybe we agree, happens. but we are just using, using different words. So I said no, infinite. No, we don't. We not... don't because oh. you cannot have an let, infinity. Let, let me explain in, this. You can't maybe. have an infinity in a universe that exists in 40 billion. No, no, but you maybe, must have an infinite universe. You don't. I, 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 I agree. I agree. Well, but maybe, speak. Bonnie means, maybe Bonnie means something else. So, you know, there's. There's Cantor sets of infinities, so not all infinity. Some infinities are smaller than other infinities. That's true. Yeah. So the term infinite but not exhaustive means it's infinite. You can, you can, but not, but um, some things are taken out of the possibility. So, for example, there was a time before there were elephants, and there may be a time when there are no elephants but there will never be a time when there was never any elephants. 
So there's still a lot of infinite possibilities still available, but never having any elephants has been taken out of potential. And this is extremely important because nobody wants to talk about this. It's like from a, from a psycho-spiritual sense is that there'll never be another you and it'll never be taken out of the subsistence field that there was a you. And I think that, so that the phrase I use is infinite, but not exhaustive. There are some things that get taken out of the potential. And if we paid attention to what gets taken out of the potential and took those things seriously, I think our behaviors would really change. You're using uh, I, a finisher from a negation. So that, I would say I prefer the word enormity and I'm adamant about it because the word infinity has fucked up philosophy so badly. I have some of the same. So we develop that. enormity, enormitismals rather than infinitismals because you go all the way down to Planck length and end. Right. Okay. So enorm so now, enormity is a better word. Here it comes payback. Why do you call? Okay, I understand why you call linear time patriarchal or masculine or phallic, sure. why does matriarchal time have to be circular? There's many, 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 many different other types of time, different ways, shapes. Oh, of here we go. Fucking circle. Bonnie, Bonnie <laughs> just, you just proved my point. It's only from the perspective of circular time, you would say there's so many different circles out there. That's perfect. <laughs> it's like one of my students said was, I don't want to be the mythos. I don't want to be this one thing. I want to be like men are. They logos and pathos in internal conflicts. Oh, well, that's exactly the sort of wishful thinking which is called mythos. You just proved my point. We're being yeah, but you need to, you need to, that's my alert. The word circular is doing for me the same thing that the word infinite is doing to you. Listen, the word linear <laughs> has circle, a really bad reputation the last 100 years. So we men have to live with being some kind of linear obsessed. You know, anti-linear was developed to get out of it. So you can do anti-circular. So why don't you go anti-circular? In that case, you fight circular and see what you come up with philosophically. You're perfectly welcome there. This is the point. The point is that it's in the anthropological imagination that these different concepts have been developed and the persons try to unify them. The mistake was to go with only one of them after that revolution. The East tragically went with process, ended up with caste societies and nothing ever improved. And the West went the eventologies without the process, which I think is the mistake of Islamic Christianity. They became obsessed with life after death. They built huge funerals and, and graveyards and pyramids and everything. And we wasted ourselves the last 3,000 years of that lie. So the pointer is to go back to what would it mean to try to think both at the same time? And that forced you to think time in two different dimensions, two different ways. So you can start to think hyper time and space time as different categories. You can start to think linear and circular as both existing parallel. That's why the book is called Process and Event. It's not called Process or Event. We're trying to unify the best of Eastern and Western thinking in a very fundamental way. That's the point. What's the other alternative to like time you're talking about, Bonnie? Like besides linear and circular? I'm interested in that. No, I, I'm saying, um, so, so if I think of time in the way I relate to time, I, um, I feel that um, 
you know, there's different rhythms, there's different paces, there are multiple scales, there's something I can inhabit locally, and then that exists in a background of maybe an undulation, maybe the undulation is exists in an upswelling kind of thing, and there's there's all these different shapes. It's not just circular, it's not just a... I, no, I, I understand that. This is uh, but I think I think, I think, the, I think when so we when we yeah. when we use what... the word circular, I th I think like when, when, what Bart is talking about as well is that the linear understanding of time is very much based on like the phallus or like the idea of well we have to make a plan and we have to see that plan through because there is an event happening in the future and we want to control it. So that's like the very masculine, not necessarily male but masculine conception of time, which is like controlling the future, where the feminine, again, not necessarily female, but the feminine conception of time is more, well, uh, interrelatedness, which uh, I gather what you're also describing, between different uh, temporal events. So like everything sort of relates, and well, this conversation also relates to the conversation we had like two years ago, and the patterns between them are not necessarily going in a linear line. So like both both perspectives are necessary, but also uh, divided in the sense that you can't do both at the same time. You have to, uh, you have to, when you're communicating about them, you have to do it through relation or through like disagreement. And, and in that disagreement, we, we're probably edging closer to the truth, but it's just like um, a dichotomy of the way of seeing time. Uh, where, where, like the the real lies somewhere in between. I, I, think, I had these the, conversations the, in India. Um, in, in India, they were adamant that we are circular, motherly. It's a female body. It's a mother thing. They say mother India. I, I talked to Indian artists, like you know, script writers. You know, had conversations in India with with movie directors who won Oscars, and they say, "Oh God, mm. we're so circular in India." You know, so they take on the feminine. I just did a little test. Just it mm. was just that. Who remembers birthdays the most? Because birthdays only celebrate absolute what? being. Can you hear birth birthdays don't celebrate anything. I can't hear happening. Alexander. Can you hear me? Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. Yeah, we can hear. Him. Can yeah. hear you. Yeah, but even like uh, the news talks about. Wait to make sure Bonita's born. Are you oh, back yeah. in, Bonita? Can you hear us? Okay. But like the loose, like the loose idea of a festival is that it's it's a repetition of the event itself. Like it's not it's not like a, it's not like a linear path to a new event. We are trying to recreate the event itself, like in the difference and repetition. Yeah. He writes about this. Yeah. So, okay. like, let me it, let me just finish the other one. So the other one was yeah. that I did a simple survey. It turned out that women remember birthdays four times better than men do. Not yeah. my house. Okay, that's you, but it because it's sense. circular. Because it's circular. You. You, you break all women the Women do that. Rules, this so. is like thousands of people surveyed men and women. It turns out women remember birthday. Why? Men tend to celebrate that something actually happened, like somebody mm. won the football game. Women tend to celebrate your being, which is fundamental mm. for human beings. Right? Which is the beauty about the uh, pure existence. Which is, which right? is, which so is the beauty about our calendar. The calendar embraces both the cyclical event yeah. and the linear event. Because like we are moving forwards in time, but everything is repeating in, in, in like cyclical events as well. So it's it's two like fundamentally different ways of seeing time, but we have to combine it to make sense of the real. 
Yeah, and you're right here, Erlung, because Prost event is basically difference or repetition by Deleuze, but the title is turned around. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. The repetition so, and difference. It's so, not like so you're celebrating a birthday. The point is difference is always a difference of the repetition. A slight, 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 slight change compared to the last lap would then be the then. It cannot be anything else yeah. than that. Well, there's so a difference. I, is basic. Right? I just had a the image of the Zen circle, which is open-ended, right, compared to a closed circle or an Ouroboros circle. Yeah. Right? There's a difference between that kind of circle, which is it has this open end, so every circle would be different, uh, rather than you know a, a geometrically closed yeah. circle or the yin yang, which is a closed circle, right? Yeah, it's, exactly it's like Andrew, this. Um, this is, yeah, but the is like it's not like the birth. The birthday is not celebrating your birth, like it's the birth is celebrating your birthday, and that's the difference for the deuce. It's like like the birthday is the event and the birth is celebrating the birthday mm-hmm. so there's like there's a because like the birthday is out of time it's happening in a cyclical place where the birthday is just one place in a linear like eventology so that's that's the difference between linear and cyclical time um for the loose the birth least. is the virtual and the birthdays are but like he says, he says like the events like um like uh, the uh, like uh, when when the the Nazis were kicked out of Denmark, when we are celebrating that, the Day of Freedom is referring to the festival. It's not the opposite way. It's like it's really interesting uh, to think about it that way. It's either it's a reference to now instead of a reference to the past. You mean? Yeah, because like the con the concept of a, like the birth like this the birthday is is the thing itself where the birth. It's just referencing the birthday. The dark side of that is exactly to make the point from Deleuze, is that Christians are forever doomed to celebrate the crucifixion over and over and over and over and over and over again, because they haven't understood the crucifixion happened once, but the real crucifixion is the repetition of the crucifixion. The same thing with Muhammad. Muhammad is angry with his neighbors. Muhammad storms into Mecca and kills tons of people. It has to be repeated ever, ever again. So the problem with the religion, which has a vent without process, which is much more absurd than the opposite. But, but this is we getting, start with the process. This is, the this absurdity is, is you gotta you gotta repeat endlessly something that was meant to be. Yeah, but it's it's one. not it's not like when we, when we go through Easter, it's not like Easter is celebrating the crucifixion. The crucifixion is celebrating Easter. Yeah, because okay, so now, otherwise it wouldn't have any meaning. Wait, wait. wait. Okay, Pony, now, uh, Pony. now we have Pony, something. Yes. That's mashed up, mashed up in a peculiar way. I I get, I like that what you said, Elon. That the the uh, crucifixion is the repetition celebration of the crucifixion. But yeah, the, cru- the crucifixion is the celebration of Easter. It's not the other way around. Right, no, no, exactly. no, 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 Ella, Ella, again. Christ well, is supposed to return, but he never returns. That's the madness of the whole operation. Right. What returns it's is the celebration. Yeah. What returns is Easter. Okay, so. So then you said this is the problem with Christianity because the there's too much too much emphasis on the event, the crucifixion, and then it returns and returns and returns. But the event is masculine and the return and the return and the return is feminine. So now we have this strange contradiction. So if the feminine is is fixated on the event that returns and returns and returns, that's no, the opposite like... way. The opposite way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Like, no, like wait, the, wait, the, wait the a second. 
And, the masculine. And, and, and this, and, and this is a different conversation altogether. We're way from the book here. But to be honest about it, you're mistaking this because Christianity is adamant that Christ will return. Yeah, that's the masculine interpretation. I don't think there's any other protection than any Christian belief. Well, 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 the feminine interpretation. No, 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 interpretation, no, 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 The feminine interpretation. No, 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 no,
That is the most civilized thing ever done. And we're still fighting that today. We're fighting to keep that civilization going. That cost of civilization will interest me as a philosopher. I think anything else that self-obsessed, navel-gazing, axiolated boys dealt with is nothing compared to this project. So I want to take the West back to the Persian Hebraxis, inherited by Heraclitus, who passed it on to Greece. Thankfully, Nietzsche and even Heidegger recognized that Heraclitus was the real major Greek. He was probably not even Greek. He was probably a Kurd. That's more, more to it historically. So the connection with Persia here prior to Greece, writing down things, et cetera, et cetera. The Greeks invented drama, but they didn't invent philosophy. The Persians did. And this is what interests me, where philosophy meets religion. And go back to that, to that sense in the Bronze Age, during the Bronze Age, to then redefine what is empire, what is nation, what is city today, because we have to do that, otherwise we will blow ourselves up and kill each other again, as human beings constantly do when they're left to their own devices. What do you think of that, Bonnie? Well, I would say uh, we're aligned. Um, I would I would drive it a little deeper, but I would also say that his book is addressing this, and that is, uh, for a long, long time in history, humans um, told their origin stories by thinking about the cosmos. In, in, we would say mythical terms, but they were metaphysical terms. It's the way they did metaphysics there. And if you look at the early John Buddhists or the early Taoists, they were doing metaphysics with drawings and stuff. So myth mythical terms are metaphysical. And so when they thought of who we are, who are we? What is our purpose? What is our origins? It always started in this deeper investigation. And then the story went through that and the story of the stars and the planet and the animals and the plants, and there was a continuity. And then at some point in, I would say the Abrahamic Neoplatonism, when, and I'm not sure you know, where that's been between Persian and Hebrew, um, it, that um, we started telling, or you know, in, in the early Homer, you could see in Homer, we started telling our origin stories based upon foundational people and the history of a people and territory. You know, this land is our land. And um, so in Genesis, you know, the whole thing is created in five days or four, five, five days. And then, and then, then, Abra then Adam and Eve get created. And then the story gets interesting. So we've lost this whole sense of origin in this whole middle ground. A lot of people go back to cosmology, but this whole from cosmology all the way through the whole history of the planet and being humans and being planetary has been lost from religion. And now it's just lineage and uh, you're human, you know, two people or a clan and territory. And I think that that um, that's what's destroying the planet, you know? And I think any religion that starts with territory and founding fathers doesn't dig deep enough. It's not a deep enough origin story. I strongly mm. agree. So the pointer is that we have to use digital, whatever it is, to try to unite East to West. You can't afford to go different ways or, or creating the animosity we do right now. We, we, I mean, China and America going apart right now, it's terrifying. We created the devil 
and the devil showed himself on August 6, 1945. It's called the bomb. And the, the devil's only become even more powerful since then and more widespread. It's a race against time to create some kind of divinity or whatever we need to help us out to stop the devil from blowing us up. That's the real race. Climate change and other things are secondary. That's the real race right now. Mm. That's an obvious race. We are in a sort of shock after 1945. I think after 1945, it changed history forever. It was the other big, that was a dark event. If Cyrus the Great to me is the, is, 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 is the, is the sunshine event, then certainly the dark event is 1945. And we came out of the Second World War, which just proved to us how horrible we can be. We have to go back to the forms. I'm not doing with Plato, I'm doing with Darwin. That's our work. I do the forms with Darwin because they're developed evolutionarily. They're archetypal. They're very human friendly. They actually are what human beings repeat all the time. And that's it. It's easy for us to be tribal. Now, can we please extend that and see if we can do it larger? And then I look at any mechanism out there that can help us do that. I love trade. I love the trade religions. I love Taoism, Buddhism, and Zoroastrianism because they trade religions. They're not dogmatic. They're not centered. They have no Rome. They have no Pope. But they are preaching spirituality for us as human beings to go spiritual and go deeper and love other human beings and love the stranger, right? And by practicing trade, that's exactly what they do. And they're we not, need that. We need they're that. Not, they're not, they're relational in a way that they're not afraid of losing their identity in the other like they want i want some of yourself you know to become like yeah there this 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 uh breakdown of schizomogenesis you know this this ability for people to want what in my work we call it ingress if i relate to you then part of you ingresses into me and if that makes me nervous then i'm going to defend against true relationship but if I live in a world of difference, that means I am changing all the time and I can't, I can't capture my own identity because inexorably everything I interact with is changing my, in my subjectivity. So I think that makes, uh, um, more, I think it makes modern people more nervous um, because because we interact so much on social media and digital, we can feel all these things trying to change us, you know, and change and and maybe, you know, this virtuality of self, maybe this the identity itself is is virtual. Oh, we, we wrote a book called Digital Libido before this one, which is very, very dark, and it deals with the times we live in and why people are confused. The increased dramatic increased levels of complexity. I would even say today, using Jim Rutt's words here, that uh, the passive aggression of our society responded with 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 a, with an incessant form of irony. And if irony here is the masculine side and passive aggression is the feminine side, this is the worst of men and women right now. And our society is filled with it. But it mm. makes sense that this is the reaction to where we're at right now. This has to be overcome rather quickly. And that's what we're working with. So there are people who try to do what we do, but have a different take on it. And it's the Chinese. They started Confucius and they decided to go big time on having a guy at the top. They don't care about the tyrant. They believe the tyrant is fundamentally benevolent. That's what Chinese people tend to do, and they go for Confucianism. So I thought Xi Jinping would go Taoist, he hasn't. He's gone for Confucianism. My hope that is China can make a Taoist turn 
I think we can import Buddhism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism to the West. And somewhere here, I see it happening. Women have started that already. Women in Europe and America are changing their religion. They're switching from Christianity to mass Buddhism right now. It's a pop version, but never mind. Mm -hmm. We have 600 temples and monasteries right now that women have brought to the West. They, 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 they skip Christianity. I think it's about, for me personally, it's about time for men to do the same journey. And actually start looking at maybe the mass religions that did mass conversions weren't right. That maybe we need to skip them and go for something much more profound and deeper. And that's why I recommend the guys that I live with in my monastery to study these trade religions and preferably pick one tradition and align with it. And they can pick Taoism or Zoroastrian and Buddhism. I don't care, but they pick one of them and go with it. And that's what I recommend them. But the opposite, I think, is happening. People are doubling down on Christianity. They're doubling down on Neoplatonism and the Stoics and the virtues and all these these Platonic things. And won't work. Yeah, my prophecy is that it won't work. Maybe it's like a supernova or something. Exactly. The real fundamentalisms today, Islam and Putinism, Islamism and Putinism, are supernova phenomena. Supernova phenomena occur before something dies. It's it, it's when I, Shishik and I agree here, it's when I no longer believe in Allah, but I'm not aware of it, that I start acting on Allah's behalf. I start blowing up bombs in myself in the process. So fundamentalism right now is the Russian and the Islamist variety of it. But I'm sure we, we're seeing a lot of people running after these different things like neo-christianity one of them is jordan peterson but at the end of the day does he believe in the afterlife no he doesn't then he can't believe the summer's resurrected after three days no he doesn't then his christianity is completely ironic he does not believe in it at all well then it's better to go to a religion you can't believe when i converted zoroastrianism in the 1990s i said i believe in this religion it has no supernatural elements involved. I love it. Actually, its name is Master Yasna, which means philosophy. So any philosophy I do is my religion. Of course I converted. I was convinced. I, I was very close to becoming a Taoist, and I respect Bonas. He born as a scholar of Taoism. I think these are the routes we need to go. I love this work of Gurdjieff, etc. I think it's much more profound. I think just superficially adopting a few traditional bourgeois values and think that's going to hold. Listen, if it doesn't even keep your marriage together, it's probably not that good. The problem is, is that people quickly um, associate the kinds of things Taoists, and I don't know a lot about Zoroastrianism, but where they where they overlap with scientific reductionism. They're, they're like... Mm. Like, it's just, it's just, that's a non-statement, but that's what people think. Like, how can you be a Taoist and, and how can it be a religion if it's actually uh, uh, accepts what is the case? Yeah, right? uh, yeah, and, I'm a Buddhist, it, but there's a really bland version of Buddhism in America that is 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 so reductionist and terrible. But listen, like, I almost the, think it's like yeah. they'd be better for them to be Christians or something. Let, let, uh, here's, so, the, here's the word. But, but yeah. Please remember, people often start with the pop version when they're infantile and they grow up and then they go into more adult versions. That's this true. probably is mm -hmm. going to happen. We're going to go deeper and deeper, more mysterious with everything and, and more profound in our work. That's what we're doing yeah. here. Layman, Bonnie, you are yeah. we're all doing it. Andrea and I do it. This is the kind of work we're doing. And it's a personal journey for us to do that because we don't think this will hold otherwise. My argument against these revivals and these movements that Bonnie discussed with the Neoplatonists, I don't think they take it that seriously enough to actually die for it. And if you if if you say you believe in something you're not willing to die for and save your marriage for anything that's you know takes an effort, then it's just a pose. Yeah, these are poses. The, the these are not sincere is, convictions. 
The problem is, is that that they have been and always have been tribal, where tribal is now the nation state. This is so you have God, you know, God, family, God, and country, and and people will die if they think their country is the Christian country. They'll die for their country, whether Listen, they believe in Listen, Bonnie, I live in Sweden. I live in Sweden. Nobody is a Christian any longer in Sweden. Less than 2% of the population ever goes to church here. It's dead. What we have is Islam and secularization. And secularization is a whole that people are filled with all kinds of political ideology. Woke culture started in this country. Greta Thunberg comes from here. You know, they, they go desperate for some kind of religion, but they can't go back to Christianity and they won't. They're looking for something else. We're not trying to provide that answer. We say, we've looked around the world. Maybe the technology should come from the West, but the religious convictions should come from the East. Why? The East has been around a lot longer. It's been tried and tested. And it's along the trade route to find these schools of thought, these spiritual schools that actually make sense. They require an effort. They demand something from you before you can convert, but that's quality. Don't you want to do Louis Vuitton instead of doing H&M? You know, that's what I ask people. And that's the journey and it's deep shit work and it's the only solution. And if a few people do it, it will have a massive effect on the rest of society. I'm convinced about that. So I don't take these poses seriously. I don't see anybody's investing. Skin in the game. If you, if you don't have skin in the game, you don't really believe in your religion. You just put put the post post on that. I think Jordan Peterson fundamentally only believes in Jordan Peterson these days, and that's a really bad religion, to be honest. And I say this as an old friend who I've lost. No, I, I understand. Yeah, who I've lost. He's gone in crazy messianic, and it's it's awful to see. No, but it's also because like Christianity involved into something else, um, which was science, really. Like when you look at all the Eastern religions, which are amazing from a spiritual level. Like you only had one religion, Christianity, that evolved into like let's say enlightenment, and it left Christianity behind. No, it did not. It was Judaism. Come on. Okay, Judaism. Christianity say... fought science tooth and nail for well, four hundred well, years. This that, is bullshit. Let's say Old Testament Judaism. It's but, a very different the... thing than Christianity. Let's be honest. Okay, but 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 the but the central idea was that the universe was intelligible. So like when you look at like Newton, when you look at like Descartes, there was an idea that, well, the universe is created in the mind of Lucas, and therefore we can try to understand it through logic. Listen, like that idea. Sure, sure. But that idea was what created modern science. No, when no, you no. Look the at... printing press created modern science and the capacity to then publish things. Yeah, too. but what was the printing press? It wasn't Christianity. Well, if the, the, printing the printing press wasn't created in India. Like, no, it, it was, 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 was opposed upon... to Christianity we got science, to be honest about it. Okay, but, but fuck, fuck, fuck Christianity for a second. Yes. But just the idea of Logos, like Logos being like the creating force of the universe, which existed in Judaism to some extent also in Christianity, if we just take that idea, that idea paved the way for scientific understanding of the world. Like we can Elon, see- Elon, with, it's like, called Asha in Persian, Arta in Hindu, it's called Tao in Sure, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that it didn't come from Sorastanism. But and even like, even uh, Christianity was based on Platonism. 
But I'm, but I'm, I'm, would say maybe that's... you're talking about technology and not science, because no, like I think there is deep when you read, when you read like new, when you read like Leonardo da Vinci, when you read mm. like like his notebooks, when you read like Newton, when you read like they they are talking about the reason why we can even understand the universe is because there is a fundamental structure of logos, and the right, reason why. The... Can I say? But that I think there's a distinction. What Christianity did was a bait and switch. There's Christianity and like the Gnostics and, and the community and the convivial kind of thing. And then it got so married to Neoplatonism and then you get Protestant ethics and the worth act, which is what produces what you said, but it's really the, the Neoplatonist line and that the, these things are discoverable. These laws are discoverable and the Protestant ethic um, that then became what we call modern Christianity, but the religious kind of, you know, uh, lineage is actually lost. The the actual um, um, and that's where that yeah, that's where the big yeah. trouble is happening because it created a divide between like the scientific understanding and spiritual understanding. And like when you read like the alchemists, they're desperately trying to combine the two and failing miserably. So, like, what, what I'm thinking is that, like, the meta-narrative needs to bridge, like, celebrating Logos, but also having a connection to the spiritual. And, like, that narrative doesn't exist yet. It like, does. I'm... It's called the Trade Religions of Asia. Yeah, Vajrayana means alchemy. Yeah, we're missing our point here. Vajrayana means Why didn't the, like, uh, let's, the Gutenberg press then originate in Asia? It did in China, but didn't have cheap paper. The Chinese invented it. It just okay, but why? Why didn't they have pure cheap paper? Chance, because cheap paper exists in Europe. Two innovations into one became the printing press. Europe was lucky, and okay, Europe was you have like, a, you have like a thousand years drenched. in China. Europe <laughs> was drenched in Inca gold stolen from South America. That's true. That's but true. Like, even... So to say that Europe idea-wise was ahead. It, the problem is this. We Forget about history. We have to look at the map we're at today. Shit happens. Start here. We have to look at, are there any ways of doing a narrative today that makes sense to people, that challenges people into the process required for them to be able to handle what's happening at the moment to take leadership? My response to that, the Silk Road Triad is a good place to start. I'm now going to go into Nigerian and Ethiopian religion over the next few years. I'm going to study Yoruba. I'm going to go to Brazil and study the Africans who arrived in Brazil. There are probably other ways of doing this too. So I see the different patterns here with the different world worldviews and see what we can use. The problem now is we have to go quickly into an archaeology of ideas to find something we can build on because to reinvent fresh new, like I did with synthesis, is probably not going to work. All it's going to do is going to create the worship of a machine that we should obey, obey and submit to. That's all it's going to happen. So to create something much more spiritual, more profound, more humane, we have to use what we have. Now, if you're going to cook, you have to use what you have. Now, my sure. suggestion is that Christianity and Islam have run their way, and they're probably going towards some kind of fucking Armageddon, which they love. Not sure. good if you're going to stop the bomb. What other alternatives do you have? Trade routes. Good. That's the Silk Road tribe. And you know what? Most of history the last 4,000 years, scientific development technology happened along the Silk Road, not in Europe. In 1250, before the plague hit us, nine out of the 10 biggest cities in the world were along the Silk Road. The 10th one was in Mexico. 
nine of the 10th biggest cities in the world. Cairo, Tuxian, the two biggest cities in the world for 2,000 years. That was civilization, that is civilization. Whatever Europe was in the last 300 years is very, very small and marginal by comparison and the luck. So to, to say that, you know, be careful with that, say, the West as you interpret it for Europe and, and if you, you, the British and French and German empires and the colonialism is something we should have as models today. I don't think those models work, to be honest about it. We tried them. They didn't work. No, I, I agree that they don't work, but I think there is something that we shouldn't necessarily throw up with the bathwater as well. I think there's like a, like when you look at like, let's say like tribal religion, it's very beautiful, but it's also very cyclical which means that even today there are uncontacted tribes that lives, lives in basically the same uh, like, uh, like uh, cultural surroundings that they, as they did uh, several thousand years ago. They don't have a need to evolve. So this, is, I, this goes back to what I'm saying. We have to invent a diff, we have to move away from the dichotomy of linear time versus circle, circular time. And we have to reimagine, because these are, these are, geometries and really like what is the shape of of the ocean is it linear because it moves toward the shore hmm. is it cyclical because of hurricane and and uh, heat heat cycles is it or moon or moon cycles is it uh, undulatory i mean we need to expand the imaginal of time um, or else you're caught in this trap, either Western. I agree. Or... Uh, the point here is that hypertime is therefore not interesting. It's only just a philosophical concept. It's not interesting because it's nothing to do with our real lives. So once philosophy is applied on human beings and our lives, and you know we want to do the good thing, then it is what is attached to hypertime: the space, the mass, all these different things that are interesting. This is dialectics. We're basically now two basic forms. Time is neither circular nor linear. What do you so, do now? Yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic question, Barnett. Let's right. pursue it. Let's challenge the people who get no, engaged. No, we need to invent a new, a new. Yeah. It's neither nor. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think but I think we like have one, had one, these one two the causes piece... in the past, and without one, without the other, did not work. We know that if you fall into the process without the event, of the event without the process, then we get the pillars into history. Don't do that. Don't go there. Stay with the neither nor until and it's we have not other spiral options. either, because that's. But there's also a lot of worry about that's spiral. That's that's just neither. Spiral is well, just cheating. Yeah, spiral dynamic doesn't work here. No. It it also depends on what you're doing. Like, are, are you going to the supermarket and and buying food, or are you trying to fix like your circle of relation with your friends? Like, it also depends on project. So I think like the the way we uh, see time. Um, Project is, is a really necessary component because it's both and neither linear and circular. I think I think, projects, I think this I think is Bergson. Is I think this is this is Bergson and its difference between time and duration. So uh, I think it's because it was interested in the qualitative aspects of time, and that's what you're talking about here. Yeah, we were we were basically just doing time metaphysically in this book to lay out that there's a contradiction. Therefore, two time dimensions could be an interesting idea. Hmm. And the point here is by 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 putting subphysics prior to physics and putting God after consciousness, we haven't allowed anybody to go into the one of the two extremes. But I said, no, physics is not first and consciousness is not last. You can't use any of them as primary category. Live with the TE. That's how we invented these two other categories. So we said subphysics yeah. is prior but, and God but, is but still, But still, if, if we have the concept project, so like if, if we are trying to fix, let's say, 
our religion now, it doesn't make sense necessarily to make a plan. We need like a tribal religion in order to make sense of the relationship within a group. If we need to plan to build a great big tower, then we need a linear religion or a linear set of ideas. So project is, is really what defines the way we are thinking about like ideas to begin with. So Europe had, had a very linear, Jesus is going to return. That's a very linear idea where like the idea of samsara and like the Buddhist idea was, well, it's it's always happening in like the wheel of karma. So like it, it was a stationary society in a way. Then you had like the Silk Route, but the Silk Route is also very linear because you're going from A to B. So like, I think project- No, 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 no. It was I think like the way, the way- No, the Silk Road phenomenology was not that at all. That's your fantasy. That's not how anybody along the Silk Road perceived it. I must no, but you agree, you agree with like project, you agree no, with the idea yeah. of project, pro, right? Pro, project is prior to subject and object, yes. Yeah, human yeah, beings exactly. can engage with things, yes. Yeah. I, I, human beings are social, animals, therefore project is prior to something. This is fundamentally Hegel. So Benita, Benita, yeah. we want Benita. What if time is something like this? Actually, I, I remember something my student said, and I'm going to turn it into a metaphysical proposition. So what if time is, of course, we as human beings can experience our lives as this, as, as this, it's a time, a timeline. We, and um, and we already talked about that. White had said that um, it's this fact that some potentials are taken taken out of uh, possibilities is why there's a there is an arrow of time. Okay, so so that's true. But what if I'm going to use your own thing? What if what so along that line, what what is actually the case is not just the past. But it seeds more uh, 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 vector emergence vectors that then get ahead of us and grow the potential for we when we bump into them in the future. So now time is this complex. So at, at every moment, what is actually the case is not only just subsists, but it mm -hmm. actually expurgates a new gradient array or a set of emergent vectors that somehow, depending upon other these other emergent vectors that this timeline actually goes to, it we bump into it again, and that makes all the difference. What if we had that kind of imagination around time? This is what we call project in our work, and we call it exonology. And this is what's so important today is, is to, to have a dream to look forward to, at least for men. Mm -hmm. I think women agree, but men certainly need that. So the exodology principle means that you've got to imagine something in the past. It's higher and further away towards which you pull yourself. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise nihilism takes over completely. Yeah. And, what and you said reminds me of the Terma tradition where you, you create in, in the in, the, in Buddhist Tantra, you create all these teachings for the future and you bury treasures like time capsules in different places and then people discover them. And there's supposed to be some which are just ideas and others which are actual treasures. You know, I met a bunch of Tibetan monks and they were burying things, you know, for the future around, you know, in little hidden places off in Canada. 
Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't do this with drugs. <laughs> Put the drugs in the house and don't know what kind of drugs are in there. They yeah. take whatever I find or something. Yeah. There you go. But it's true. So project here, it's not used by Hegel, but the point is to understand Hegel as a subject is look sub, subject is subject and object are byproducts of, of the product because the product unites the two. There's no subject, mm. there's no object without the product in between tying them together. This is why Hegel unites ontology and epistemology into one category, ontopistemology. We then said, once ontopistemology is united, we create narratology and finally find a home for all the deconstruction work that was done in the 20th century. Says, That's a separate philosophical category, which is the stories that human beings tell about themselves. Here are three different versions of those. And by the way, they're reducible to one another. Stay mm. with the contradiction again, very Hegel. So that, that's the work we did here. Uh, and the point is that Jung Shulhan has framed it beautifully, and I think he's absolutely spot on with the problem with, with Westerners today, as a Zion monk from Korea, seeing it from the outside. He just said that if there isn't a project, the subject spins into itself so fiercely that it's violence on itself. So if violence mm-hmm. disappears in a society, we should watch out because violence has probably been internalized inside subjectivity itself. Hey, psychiatric ward units and everything exploded at oh. the moment. So, so, so this is the problem. A society without project in itself, the nihilism that it creates in itself will mean that subjectivity starts hunting itself because it doesn't have a project. Yeah, to go to. this is yeah. similar to what I say about um, we space practices. It, it has to be a three-legged stool. There's the self, there's the other, and then there's the world, a real world project. And the world project actually coheres the self-other, the intersubjectivity. And um, yeah, this is this is another point of I think uh, agreement here in different different languages, different emphasis. It's the way two traders do a product together, exactly. Yes, trade. Exactly. So the, this is mm-hmm. the this is the product you do with the stranger. And, trade and we is have not to consult- we have to have those products everywhere, otherwise we go to war. Right. Okay. That's cool. Trade. I like that. I like that as a. I love you a, guys. This is so refreshing. Yeah, this conversation. Yeah, ending, so ending on this idea of trade. Kind of. I like that. Anyway. It's great. Yeah. It's great. So, Andrew, you're the Buddhist here. Do you have a Buddhist commentary to the Taoism and Zoroastrianism and post Christianity we experienced here in the conversation? Well, do you have, uh, a, do you have a Buddhist comment to us right now? A Buddhist sort of comment. Final well, note here, maybe. You know, Vajrayana is is like uh, is, uh, is 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 I guess it's a Silk Route religion. You know, I, I've heard that at one point in Lhasa, for example, in Tibet, there were like. 15 different religions and you know so there was this there was always a cosmopolitan flow going from one side of the world to the other so it's not like the east and the west were these two separate worlds um uh in a way so but i think that i well i always i always think the tantric solution is the best in the in the deepest sense of tantra not you know just these sex schools which are fine and, and dandy but but the deepest sense of tantra which is weaving all these things together. Tantra means to weave, you know, and it's, it's a process of weaving things together. That would be my, my, what is tantric? So actually, um, the trade route is neither circular nor linear. Thanks to Juanito <laughs> for making that case tonight. Sure. Yeah. All good, guys. All good. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. And speak soon. I'm, I'm going to go until February, yeah. but I'm back in, in the spring. 
Love podcasting. Love talking to you guys. We'll see what we can come up with in the spring. Bonita, That's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice meeting you, Alan. Nice meeting Thank you, guys. Yeah, Thank you too, Alan. Good to see you all. You too, Andrew. Good good see you soon. Bye.